Okay, now Pastor Ryan and I were just having a discussion here. You see I'm on this side of the aisle and there's no one sitting here. Now I'm going to move to the other side and then I'm going to see whether you all move over here. But then again, it could be because of Polly. Polly has a cough, so maybe nobody wanted to sit in front of her. So, Well, welcome, everyone. It's good to see. <laughs> I think you're back there. You, you may sit up here. You know, these seats are as comfortable as the ones in the back. And, uh, and we have an exit door up here in case there's a fire. So, But anyhow, you sit wherever you want to. We're just glad you're here. Christine and Paul are on vacation. They're going to be gone for three weeks. Uh, they're down at uh, Stone Harbor. Don't they go to Stone Harbor? Yeah, but the way it works out, I don't think they're going to be here for three weeks. You know. So uh, they're down there. Joel and Nancy are away. So we're going to look to Eleanor to bring us up to date on anything that has to be updated. And today is the 14th of July. I can't believe how quickly this summer is going by. Today we are praying for Sutara Hill. Where is Sutara Hill? 2.30, outside of Middletown, right? Right there at the intersection where you can get on to 283. Small church, but uh, they've been there for a long time. And then... Uh, Stevens Hill is praying for us. So, and they have a, they have a, a good leadership there. You remember Audrey Audrey Estep that was preached with. She's from Stevens Hill, and they have a they have a number of pastors there. So, a good good congregation. All right. I don't think we have anything else to. Uh, oh, and. Uh, Sue is going to be on vacation a couple days this week, too. Uh, did you know about that? I think she sent me an email, but I don't remember the exact dates. But I think she's going to be away for, the, for a couple weeks. And uh, already, you see how quickly the summer is coming to an end? Disaster relief auction in September. So that's in your bulletin. That's always a good time. I never get to go there because of work, but uh, I remember when the choir went there. That was fun. That was fun. Anyhow, I think we have everything in order. We have Pastor Ryan with us again today. He's getting broken into the big time, like he said in his email. So, <laughs> so, so we will enjoy his teachings as we always do. But let's start off with a, a hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, number 350. Will you stand with us and sing number 350? Usually it's the women that we have to sort of separate and get to sit down. Today it was the men. Couldn't, couldn't pry the men apart. I don't know what's going on there. But anyhow, let's look at our prayer ministry guide. And uh, we'll look for some updates if anybody has anything. Uh, Joyce does. Let me get back there. 
brother-in-law, Jim Dobb, uh, had surgery on Friday on his arm. He had fallen about a month ago, and it was fractured, and they casted it, and then x-rays, x-rays, x-rays. And then he went in this past week, and they found like seven or eight pieces of bone in there. Oh, gosh. So he had to have plate and screws put in. He came home the same night, did really good. So prayers for healing and for the pain. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'd like prayer for our daughter-in-law, Faith Baker. Uh, she has lupus, and she oh. recently lost 70 pounds oh, God. in a short time, and they're not sure why, so, but we'd like prayer for her. Okay. Anyone on the, the minority side over here? No one else. Do you have anything, Pastor Ryan? No, I just have a, uh, I can update on, uh, I spoke with Sandy, um, all is well, they made it back from, from annual conference, I'm sure maybe some of you probably already know that. Um, Karen hopes to update everyone on uh, what she uh, heard, what she saw at annual conference to give us an update. So. Uh, that's hopefully going to be next week, I think is what Sandy was hoping, um, that, that um, Karen would give us an update. So um, hopefully we'll see you all back next Sunday for an update from yeah. annual conference. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, I got a, a letter from uh, the district office, and you probably did too, about uh, the meeting we had in May. I think, yeah. I think it was way back in May uh, down at Hempfield uh, where discussion was based around the discrepancy with uh, a same-sex homosexual uh, situation within the denomination. And uh, they had promised a, an update and uh, uh, notes concerning that to be sent to uh, congregations. And uh, Pete pointed out in this letter that with annual conference and vacations and, and all that kind of stuff going on, it just got delayed, but they're, they're going to do that. They're not forgetting about it. So they just wanted to let us know that uh, that is coming. So I know uh, Joe and Nancy were there, Sandy was there, Ryan was there, I was there for, for the latter part of it. Um, I don't know if anybody else was down there or not, but, I have to admit, I, it was hard for me to hear in that room. I thought the acoustics were really bad. Oh, yeah. And since my hearing is, my hearing is perfect, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're laughing, Goldie. <laughs> no, I, I did have a difficult time hearing because we were in a gymnasium and it wasn't made for that type of setup. I thought they'd meet in the sanctuary, but, uh, they wanted to have a small group discussion, so that didn't work out. So anyhow, uh, we'll get an update on that. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's come before the Lord with our prayers and our concerns. Heavenly Father, thank you for inviting us to always talk to you. What a blessing it is to be able to come to you whenever we want to, whenever we feel the need. 
And we shouldn't just come to you when we have problems and concerns, but oh my, what glorious weather you have given us and, and all the things that you have blessed us with. Uh, I, for one, enjoy flowers and I, I just see gorgeous and gorgeous things that you have made. And I say to myself, you know, this is wonderful. My God loves beautiful things. And, and I'm so pleased that he reveals them to me. But we do come, we do have concerns, and we, we pray that uh, people who have operations will, will pull through good. Uh, we think of Jim, and uh, we, we think of faith. Touch them, Lord. Give them healing, if you will, please. Help the doctors to understand what, what faith's problem is, that they can get her stabilized. We're anxious to have people back in our congregation that are on vacation. We pray that they will have a good time, Lord, that they will, will be refreshed and be able to come back safely from what they plan to be as a refreshing and happy time. Thank you, Lord, for that. We have so many problems here in, in this country and throughout the entire world, Lord, that only you can alleviate, only you can address. We're just helpless to handle some things. And we need your guidance. Thank you, Lord, for being that type of God who would take those things under consideration. And we know that your plan is greater than ours and far above what we can even imagine. But we still come to you with prayer. And we, we pray, Lord, for Swatara Hill congregation. It is small, but a faithful congregation, we pray. I don't know the leadership there, but I know that they have been in that area for numerous years. Support them, Lord. Give them faith. Let them know that we are praying for them. And the entire, the entire Christian world is praying for them. Thank you, Lord, for their leadership. Thank you for their congregation. Lord, thank you for this congregation, a loving congregation. Thank you for our leadership. Thank you, Lord, for all those people who work together to make this your family. Lord, we pray this in your son's holy name, our Savior, our coming King, Jesus Christ, the name above all names. Amen. This is Second Sunday. So my two, no, last week, we're driving in the car, and I said, wow, look at the corn, it's really grown. And Kayla said, yeah, I know, can you believe it? Summer's almost over. Yeah. Now, I thought summer started officially June 21st, yeah. and it doesn't end until September 21st. I don't, I don't know. Isn't that right? Right? Because fall begins September 21st. So we just started summer, <laughs> right? Well, when you get older, things go fast. Uh, <laughs>
heard that. Uh-huh. A lot of rain. Yeah, a lot of rain. Yeah. Different, different seeds, different, different practices. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. Well, anyway, I want to be optimistic about summer. We just started. Okay. All right. Oh, boy. Okay, so we're in John chapter 5. And um, before we get to John chapter 5, I'm going to read a story. Actually, this story, Mike, is going to take us to wintertime. So the story's about Fiorello LaGuardia. He was the mayor of New York City during the Great Depression and all of World War II. And he was an energetic person, used to ride the New York City fire trucks. He used to raid the speakeasies with the police department, take entire orphanages to baseball games. And whenever the New York newspapers were on strike, he went on the radio and would read the Sunday comics for the children that were listening. And on a cold night in January of 1935, the mayor uh, stopped in at a night court that was um, in the poorest area of New York City, and Mayor LaGuardia dismissed the judge for the evening and took over the duties of judging the cases, and within a few minutes, a broken old woman was carried into the courtroom, and she was brought before the mayor, who was acting as the judge because she had been charged with stealing a loaf of bread, and so she told the mayor that the mayor who was acting as the judge, that her daughter's husband had deserted her and her daughter was sick and her two grandchildren were starving. And she tried to buy bread from a local store but didn't have enough money and when she pleaded with the shopkeeper to lower the price, he refused. And one of the police officers that was present said to the mayor, it's a bad neighborhood, Your Honor. She needs to be punished to teach other people in that neighborhood a lesson. And so Mayor LaGuardia just sort of looked at the old woman and he sighed and he turned and said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. It's either going to be $10 or 10 days in jail. And so as he was levying the sentence upon that old woman, he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a $10 bill and he tossed it onto the desk and he said, here's the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore... I'm going to find everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread to feed her grandchildren. Mr. Bailiff, please collect the fines and give them to the defendant. And so the following day, the New York City newspaper reported that $47.50 was given to that broken old woman who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. 50 cents of that amount went to the embarrassed and ashamed grocery store owner. And while 70 and 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and New York City policemen each paid 50 cents, and it was all given to that broken old woman. Grace was given to that broken old woman. Grace that was undeserved. And so the idea from the passage here in John chapter 5 is that Jesus saw a man lying underneath the colonnades at the Bethesda pool and he offered him undeserved grace by healing him physically. 
Jesus knows our spiritual conditions and he offers to each of us undeserved grace by cleansing and healing us from our sins while giving us new spiritual life. So he asked the question, well, what is grace and why is it undeserved? Well, mercy, we talk a lot about the mercy of God. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. And so according to God's word, each of us has violated his standards. Because we have violated God's standards, our lives have been tainted with sin. And the just remuneration, the just wage of sin is death, says Paul in the book of Romans. Therefore, death is what we deserve. But God, being a merciful God, has not abandoned us to die in our sins. And this act of mercy alone is worth more praise than could fill a thousand congregations. But God didn't even stop there. Being a loving God, He shed His grace upon us by giving us what we do not deserve. And that is an opportunity to be called His children an opportunity to have fellowship with Him, an opportunity to live eternally with Him. God has showed mercy to each of us by not giving us what we deserve. Instead, He poured out His wrath on His Son, Jesus Christ, while He was being nailed to a Roman cross. And then God shed His grace upon us, and His grace seeks us, and can be known in our resurrected Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to read this whole passage of Scripture, and then we're going to get into everything that we have to say. So if you would like to follow along, we're going to be starting chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to read down to verse 17. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. And it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. 
And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. So the last time we met, we talked about Jesus' encounter with the official from Capernaum. And so sometime after that event, probably not long, Jesus left Cana in Galilee, and he was heading toward Jerusalem for an annual feast. And so as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he came to a popular pool called Bethesda. Bethesda in Hebrew means house of outpouring. It's an appropriate name, it seems, so there was about to be an outpouring of healing and grace. And so the pool was situated on the north side of Jerusalem. It was a very large complex, five roofed colonnades. It was a common place for people to come and to bathe themselves. And for a long time, historians questioned the accuracy of this event. You know, did this actually occur? Simply because they could not find the pool that John spoke of. That was until archaeologists discovered its location in the 19th century. The present-day location of the Bethesda Pool Complex is near the Church of St. Anne in the northeast section of the old city of Jerusalem. That's just a subtle reminder that when we approach God's Word, we're not dealing with fairy tales. Rather, we're dealing with the facts of history, which can be verified And so John describes this pool by saying that there was a multitude of sick persons sitting beside it, underneath the colonnades, the the, um, roof structure of this pool. And the inflection of the Greek here means that the place was full of sick persons. Just as a bucket, which is lowered into a flowing well, is pulled up and it's full of water, So the complex at Bethesda was full of sick persons. Some translations use the word invalid for the Greek word asteneo. Invalid in the sense that they are physically incapacitated, weak, powerless, sick, ill, diseased. Why were these persons waiting beside the pool? Well, the sick man in John 5 tells us why he was there in verse 7. He was waiting for the water to be stirred up so that he could get into the water and receive healing. And so let's picture this scene. Jesus is traveling south to Jerusalem. And as he arrives in Jerusalem, he's on the north side of the city near the Sheep Gate. He goes into the Bethesda pool complex. Bethesda means house of outpouring. And he sees that the place is full of sick persons. And those sick persons were waiting for the waters to be stirred up so that they could get into the water to receive healing. That's quite a scene. Did the waters of Bethesda have some magical healing property? Now, where does this idea come from? Some of you may notice that there is not a fourth verse in this chapter. Instead, we go from verse 3 to verse 5. Verse 4 may appear as a footnote at the bottom of the page, and it may read something like this. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. Now the earliest manuscripts, the earliest 
copies of John's gospel do not contain verse number 4 that I just read. Verse 4 only begins to appear sometime around the 6th century, some 475 years after this event took place. And for that reason, biblical scholars believe we're right to conclude that verse 4 was not a part of the original gospel of John, the original gospel that John wrote. And moreover, the idea that the first person who stepped into the water was healed seems inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. I mean, one can only imagine the chaos that would ensue in those situations if it was a race to enter the water first. I mean, it seems that it seems reasonable to think that people would kill to be first in order to be healed. And so last week we talked about the object of saving faith. And I told you that Jesus Christ is the only proper object of a saving faith. Now there were some in Jesus' day, and still some today, that offer false hopes in faith healings and holy waters guaranteed to cure and heal cancer. You can buy holy dirt, holy crosses, you know, miracles for sale. I'm sure we've all seen individuals on television offering what it seems miracles, you know, for sale. One famous biblical scholar says, the promises of merely superstitious religion has no power to transform the truly needy. Well, if you're saying that the water was not magical, then is there any significance to the water in this story? Is there a connection to the earlier stories in John's Gospel? Water to wine at a wedding, being born of water and spirit, living water offered to the Samaritan woman. I, I do. I think it's likely that the symbolism of water is meant to tell us something in this story. Just like the stone jars of purification were used to cleanse people, Jesus filled them with wine to show that the time of ceremonial washing was over. Jesus is now the way in which a person is truly cleansed. And just as each of us are born out of the water in our mother's womb, so we need to be born out of the spiritual water in the Holy Spirit's womb. Just as water from a well could not satisfy the Samaritan woman's thirst forever, the living water that Jesus offered to her at the well would satisfy her eternal thirst. The water in this pool could not heal the sick man, but Jesus came to cleanse us from our sins. He came to offer us new life, being born of the water and spirit and he came to satisfy our eternal thirst. To put it another way, the connections with water in these stories might be highlighting the Jewish religion in contrast to
about now. Good? Okay. Mm-hmm. Right, so the stories of water might be highlighting the Jewish religion in contrast to the salvation that Jesus is now offering to all of us. So I'm going to shift gears here for a second. Kayla and I are very different when we go to a store to purchase something. Kayla tends to look at everything that is available in the store before leaving this store with the one item that she went in to purchase. (laughs) Myself, on the other hand, I tend to go immediately to the item that I am wanting to purchase, not slowing my pace for anything, nor looking side to side or making eye contact with anyone in the store. (laughs) Now, I'm not suggesting that my approach is better in any way. Rather, I'm simply saying that when I am in a store to purchase something, I'm seeking that one item and nothing else. And so undeserved grace seeks us. Jesus entered the pool complex, or excuse me, the Bethesda pool complex, which was full of sick persons, and he was seeking this one man. Who was this sick person? Well, we don't know much about him, except that at worst, he was paralyzed, and at best, he was extremely weak to the point that he was not able to move without the aid of others. And we know that he had been coming to the Bethesda pool complex for a very long time, 38 years to be exact, as John tells us. But John does not say that he was lying there continuously. Rather, we should probably understand that this man was being brought to the Bethesda pool complex in anticipation of the water being stirred up so that he might be healed. And I asked the question for the last two weeks as I was preparing this, why, Lord, why this man? And I, I can't answer that question. I do know that the Lord spoke against false prophets and priests who promised healing during the time of Jeremiah, saying that those men were filling the people with vain hopes. It's in Jeremiah 23, 16. And, and perhaps this man was in some way a victim of false offers of hope from the religious establishment. The water will heal you. You Jesus sought, sought him out to make a true offer of healing. What I can say is that undeserved grace sought this man, and it seeks each of us here today. Jesus is seeking each of us. I've been reading the book of Jeremiah. I don't know why I'm drawn to it, but I've been spending a lot of time in the book of Jeremiah. In in Jeremiah's day, God instructed him to tell the people of Israel that his judgment was coming because his people had turned to worship idols. But God's warnings are also full of offers of healing. Return, declares the Lord, for I am merciful. Return, O faithless children, I will heal your faithlessness. Undeserved grace is seeking us. 
Jesus is seeking us. Return, declares the Lord, for I am merciful. I will heal your faithlessness. So how can we live in response to this? We can return our hearts to the true God, the living God, the everlasting King, the fountain of living waters. We should return to God because undeserved grace is offered to us. And that's the second point I want to make today. Undeserved grace is offered to us. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And I asked a question myself, did Jesus become emotional over this man's conditions? I think so. I think Jesus was genuinely moved by his condition. How did Jesus know that the sick man was there for a long time? I mean, had he seen him before? Did he walk through the Bethesda pool complex at various points and he saw that man? I think those are good questions. The NIV translates this Greek word, gnus, as learned. Jesus learned about him. The English Standard Version translates it as new. The idea that Jesus learned about that man's condition suggests that Jesus had to ask around for more information. But the Greek word that's used here could easily mean supernatural knowledge. I can't answer the question of why this man, but Jesus chose this man, which suggests that Jesus knew about that man's conditions on the basis of his divine power. And early on in John's Gospel, Jesus tells us that Nathaniel, excuse me, Jesus told Nathaniel that he saw him under the fig tree, and Nathaniel's response was pure astonishment, implying that no one could know that information unless they were God. So Jesus had a supernatural knowledge about this sick man that was at the Bethesda pool complex. Do you want to be healed? Undeserved grace is offered to each of us. Now, there are some that say that Jesus' offer means that the first step to wholeness must come from a deep desire within us. In other words, if the man would have said no, then he was not desiring to be healed, and thus Jesus would not have healed him. This implies that if we do not want to become well, then we will not become well. I think sometimes this is the case in our lives when thinking about sin. Sometimes we don't want to be delivered from our sins because we enjoy them. It could also be the, the case that Jesus' question is rather vague for a reason. Yes, the man wants to be well, but Jesus may have in mind a different type of wellness. And while we are right to want physical wellness, perhaps Jesus is more interested in our spiritual wellness during this lifetime. Wherever you come out on that, the main emphasis, I think, is this. Undeserved grace is offered to us. Jesus is offered to us. Healing is offered to us. The man responded to Jesus' offer by saying, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And besides, when I try to get into the water, someone else steps down before me. And so how are we to read this response? 
It's possible to read the man's response as being proof of his depth of desire for healing. He was persistently at the pool, waiting for the waters to be stirred, but had no one to lower him into the water. And if that's the case, then Jesus' challenge to him would have been passed with flying colors. And it's also possible to read his response as being a grumbling remark from a discontented man. Listen, pal, do not bother me with your offer of healing because I am trying to be healed by the waters in this pool but clearly, as you can see, I cannot walk. And even on those rare instances when I do get close, someone steps in before me. Now, I'm inclined to believe that this man's response was harsh. Excuse me. I'm inclined to believe that this man's response was harsh simply because later on, John tells us that this man tried to avoid difficulties with the Jewish authorities after he was healed by blaming the man who healed him. He says, hey, don't yell at me. The guy who healed me told me to pick up my mat and walk. He made no attempt to ask Jesus who he was. Scripture does not say that he was thankful. While the Samaritan woman went and told her entire village about Jesus and brought them Scripture makes no mention of him saying anything to anyone else about the good news of Jesus Christ. And finally, when he did learn that it was Jesus who healed him, what did he do? He went and told the Jewish authorities. He told on Jesus. I recently watched a news story about a man being sentenced to life in prison for murdering a woman. The father of the deceased woman said that he was pleased with the justice system and hoped that the man who killed his daughter will get what is coming to him. Now, I know that I am not the only person in this room who has felt frustrated with another human being at some point in their lifetime. Felt that maybe a person deserved what they had received for their actions. Now, I can't understand the difficulty that that father is going through after the loss of his daughter. And what's the point I'm trying to make? The point is, the sick man in this story did not care to know his healer's name after he was healed. He tried to get out of trouble with the Jewish authorities by blaming Jesus. And when he finally learned the name of his healer, he went and told the Jewish authorities who he was so that they could go out and find him and try to arrest him. We're not talking today about grace or even deserved grace. Rather, we're talking about undeserved grace. And on the surface, it would seem like this man was not deserving of grace. But truly, who is deserving of grace? What person can stand before the Lord and say, I am worthy of you? No, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Undeserved grace is offered to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
it is not for us to decide who should receive the grace offered through Jesus. Rather, it is our job to live as one who has been renewed by this grace and to tell others how they too can experience undeserved grace. Now, sometimes we tell someone about the undeserved grace that can be found in Jesus Christ, and they do not listen. And so what should we do? Well, we should tell them again, and tell them again, and tell them again. Why? Because undeserved grace continues to seek us. Jesus said to the sick man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now there are spiritual realities at work in these verses. First, the command of Jesus enabled this man to be healed. The healing was immediate and certain. The man did not slowly get up with the help of others. Rather, his body was completely healed. He walked on his own power and even had the strength to pick up his mat. John makes no reference to someone helping him. Jesus gave no magical potion to this man. Rather, the words of Jesus are the very source of life. He sustains life. He heals. And he also has the power to take away life. This command anticipates the powerful voice of God at the last days when he will command the bodies of the dead to rise from the grave. I think there's a lot of comfort for us in this story. For we know that our Savior will not abandon us in our weakness. And secondly, while we are not wrong to want physical healing, I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray to be physically restored. But I believe this event at, Bethes at the Bethesda pool symbolizes the spiritual healing that Jesus came to bring each of us. Paul says in the book of Romans that death entered into the creation through sin. And so sin is the ultimate sickness. Jesus came to pay the price of our sins so that we can experience spiritual healing now and physical healing in the life to come. In verse 14, John says that Jesus found the sick man a second time. I just mentioned a moment ago that undeserved grace continues to seek us. The Greek word that John uses here, heurisco, it's an active verb. The object of the verb is a personal pronoun. The, ad, the object of a verb completes the sentence. It tells us what's receiving the action of that verb. Jesus was seeking. What was Jesus seeking? What was sought by Jesus? And the answer, the sick man. Jesus sought him. I've said before that scripture is just as much about what it does not say as it is about what it does say. It does not say that Jesus happened upon the sick man a second time. It does not say that the sick man was, was seeking Jesus. No, it says that Jesus sought him a second time. Earlier this year, I was at Lowe's buying some supplies for a remodeling project. It didn't take me long in the store because I knew exactly what I needed and where I was going. I had Luke with me, and as I was paying the cashier, I looked down to check on Luke, and he was gone. 
I, I, my heart started to race. I mean, I panicked. I thought someone could have taken him. I was right there by the doors, and I, I yelled out, my son is missing. And it, I ran outside to look for Luke. I was looking in cars. I thought someone surely has taken him. I was looking at all the people in the parking lot thinking someone was holding him. It, was, it wasn't a, a good feeling. And as I, I walked, well, I didn't walk. I ran back into the store. The manager of the store quickly locked all the doors as a part of their protocol. So no one could get out. And he said, hey, don't worry. If he's in the store, we will find him. After the doors were locked, one of the cashiers saw him standing behind a big pallet of salt. You know, in the, not actually in the store, but what's that, what's that second, you know, outer room called? The airlock. Okay, yeah. He was in there hiding behind one of the pallets of salt. Ah. Uh. I felt like I could finally breathe again. <laughs> the point is, during those three to four minutes, it wasn't a long period of time, but I was seeking Luke so much so that nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. In the same way, but with an effort that was so great, it led him to be crucified on a cross so that he could bear our guilt and shame, Jesus sought out this sick man. And he's seeking each of us. He says, see, you are well, when he saw him the second time. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, I do not believe that Jesus is saying that any time we become sick, it is directly a result of some specific sin that happened perhaps just the week prior in our lives, or even that a young child dies because they were disrespectful to their parents. Rather, I think what Jesus is saying here is that certain sins, certain actions can lead to some physical ailments. There are consequences. You know, you think of a person who's driving a vehicle while being intoxicated and is in a car accident and then is left paralyzed. There are consequences for actions. And Jesus was saying to the sick man, even in the midst of those self-imposed afflictions, you know, undeserved grace is still seeking us. It was still seeking this man. And the point in all of this is that undeserved grace continues to seek us, not because we are worthy of it, but because we are loved by the God of creation. The good news of Jesus Christ is that the ultimate consequences of sin, which is death, has been defeated. The price has been paid for by his own blood. Undeserved grace continues to seek us. It began seeking us the moment Adam and Eve walked away from God. It was seeking us when God chose Abraham and promised Abraham that through him, an offspring would be a blessing to all nations. It was seeking us as God liberated the Israelites from Egypt. It was seeking us in his law and through his priests and prophets. Undeserved grace is seeking us through the shed blood of Jesus on a Roman cross. Return to me, says the Lord, for I will heal your faithlessness. Undeserved grace seeks each of us. 
undeserved grace is offered to each of us. And undeserved grace continues to seek us. Jesus seeks each of us. Jesus offers himself to each of us. And Jesus continues to seek each of us. Return to me, says the Lord, for I will heal your faithlessness. God loved the world this way, that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not die but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Oh, Father, how we think we know, but we are so, we are so unaware of what you have done for us. Lord, we thank you for calling us. We thank you for speaking to each of us, for the gift of salvation. Father, we want to serve you. And Lord, we're not ashamed to say that we want to make you proud. We want to do a great job for you, Lord, because we love you. So Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength to go out into an unbelieving world and to share the light of your salvation. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I think we have a hymn to sing. So we close here. 349.